Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben, I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 50. And for our 50th episode, which I'm so excited for, um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey for all of us. Um, we have Shay Sober from Salt Lake City in Utah. How you doing, Shay? I'm so good. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well, thank you. It's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So we know a little bit about you, especially from your online presence on Instagram, but why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself? You got it. So I'm Shay. I have lived in Utah my whole life. If anyone knows anything about Utah, um, a lot of Mormon people, also known as Latter-day Saints, live here, which is a conservative religion. Um, they teach something called the word of wisdom, which um, is what you put into your body, basically how you treat your body. Um, and one of those things is that you don't drink alcohol. And I was in this religion, uh, born and raised in it. So what was a little bit weird was that my parents did drink, though. <laughs> so um, I went to church on Sundays and they taught you don't drink. And my parents said don't drink. But then on the weekends, on Fridays and Saturdays, they would have poker and, and drink and it looked fun and um, that was a little confusing for me. As a young kid, I ha had kind of made up my mind. I was always a little bit of a rebel at heart. <laughs> um, and so I had kind of made up my mind that I was going to drink. But um, yeah, that's Utah. <laughs> um, Utah has some kind of crazy liquor laws that I hated when I was in my addiction to alcoholism, but um, I love it now. So yeah, growing up, that was a little confusing. Um, I married my high school sweetheart. Um, I got to a point, you know, in high school, my dad was actually also an addict, still is. Um, so I saw him do drugs. I saw him high. Um, because of that, that kind of swayed me to not go that direction. Um, because I only saw him really in the chaos when he was doing drugs. I didn't see the alcohol do that to his life. So I thought, okay, I'll be safe drinking. So when I got married young at 19 to my high school sweetheart, we started um, drinking right away. And that was my first introduction to alcohol. In high school, I was very shy. So having that very first sip, that was freedom for me. That was the very first, like, oh my gosh, I, this is, this is my medicine. This is what I have been looking for. I came out of my shell in essence that ended up spiraling for me with that young marriage because I do identify as an alcoholic. Um, I, I mean that from that very first sip, things got chaotic for me. I suffered some trauma in my childhood. I was sexually abused by a neighbor and a lot of that surfaced in that first marriage. So that ended pretty early for me. I moved back home. I was a rebel without a cause at this point and telling my parents, you know, I, I'll live here, but you can't give me any rules. So they like, you know, give us a hundred dollars a month, do your own thing, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I got a waitressing job. And if anyone has ever done waitressing or waiting tables, that's kind of a, a really good job for people that like to drink, I guess. <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Because I would work and then I would go out and party with my friends and then I could sleep until late afternoon, rinse, repeat, you know. But during that time, I met my current husband. 
he had no idea what a wreck I really was. So I convinced him to marry me somehow. We got married and by the end of that year of our first year of marriage, I was in rehab for alcohol use. My young sister had written me a letter saying, you know, she was worried about me. I apparently wasn't hiding it as much as I thought I was. When I went to rehab though, I still didn't think I had a problem. And this was in 2010. I was just gonna go to rehab to learn how to drink better, to prove that I didn't have a problem, that I, that I could get my shit together, or that I could learn how to cope. Maybe I was just using alcohol to cope. And if I got some therapy in this rehab place, I might just drink better. <laughs> so that's the best way I can be, describe it. So I ended up graduating from there. I stayed sober for almost two years. And during that time, I had my oldest child. I had done good. I had been sober, like I said, for almost two years. I had done therapy and rehab. I graduated rehab, had a kid. Like, I thought I was cured. I didn't understand the whole brain aspect of it like I do now, how the neural pathways, you know, once they're there, they're, they're there for good. And for me, moderation was never a thing, but I didn't know that then. So I went back to it and that was um, the beginning of a whole new roller coaster ride with alcohol. I did okay for a while because I think I was so determined to prove to everyone, see, like I'm good. I can drink like a normal person. And I needed everyone to believe that so that I would be able to drink with all of my family and my friends and not have any of them giving me any shit about it whatever. Well, that's not how alcohol works for me. A few years in, I'm starting to do the slippery slopes. People are noticing, people are calling me out. I'll go on these bouts of sobriety, 30 days here, 90 days here, but always going back and always never for me. I ended up having my second daughter um, in 2015. And then I had a really bad postpartum depression that I really wasn't aware of, but I used alcohol to cope even more with that. So my mental health really, really, really spiraled after that. I got to suicidal ideations in 2019, ended up actually being admitted for 72 hours against my will to the behavioral health unit, got out of that and stayed sober, made a move during that time, stayed sober through some holidays. This was end of 2019 and come January 1st, 2020, New Year's, I decided to drink again even after this eight years from rehab to now. Well, COVID happened. During COVID, because of the lockdown, we were worried about the liquor stores shutting down. And that's kind of where I was going with the whole Utah thing a little bit earlier was that you can't get liquor in just like the grocery stores here. You have to get them in a specific place. And I was not just a beer drinker. I needed hard, fast, like a bottle a day drinker towards the end there. Um, so my husband got like 40 bottles and they were gone in a month, in 30 days. Like that's how bad it was at the end. Um, I landed in the ER a couple of times during the height of COVID. It's crazy th that I would allow that. And that was only five months into <laughs> me saying, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get there again. So basically what happened was on May 6th, I woke up I was sick, 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 sick. I should have gone to the ER a third time and I finally accepted it. It was acceptance. It was knowing that I had tried for the past eight years now to control it, to moderate it. I'd made every rule, broke every rule, everything in the book and I couldn't control it. So I just finally said, okay, I admit it. I'm an alcoholic. From there, I just 
knew that I needed to find joy in my life without alcohol because I had no idea what that looked like or what that meant. <laughs> and so it was climbing out and I was willing to do anything. What I worried about though, big time was boredom when I started getting sober because I used alcohol for boredom most. What's funny is that I was bored because I had nothing else going on in my life because I was using alcohol. Hey, I totally get what you're saying, right? So I have my own story about Utah. I used to travel around the country as a consultant and I would drink my face off on the plane every single time. And because I was flying like 300,000 miles a year, I was always upgraded to first class. And the best part about first class is free scotch. So I remember I was rerouted to Salt Lake City because I was flying to, I think, LA or Seattle or something, and there was big storms, or I don't really remember because I was hammered. I remember I got rerouted to Salt Lake City, and I was already drinking on the plane, and we landed, and I go into the airport, I'm like, hey, where's the bar? And they're like, ha, no. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, we don't serve booze here. I was like, that can't be right. I was like, what am I going to do? I have like two hours in this airport with nothing to do. I just did not know how to fill my time. Not only because I was already drunk, but just like you said, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I could have called my family. I could have called my then husband. I could have done work that I'm sure that I had to do but I didn't because I just wanted to drink more. And I totally relate with that. And it's something that sticks with me. And I remembered it because of your story. I also really related to you saying that you graduated from rehab. So I know Chris from rehab and we were always talking about like trying to be captain rehab and like, you know, now looking back on it, it's funny, but we got through it. And that idea of graduating, my question to you is like, is that a different experience for you now? You kind of talked about graduating it, but then you went on with your story of, I relapsed again, and then I did 30 days, and I went back to it. And so did you really graduate from it? Or what was your thought process for sobriety as you went through that? Good question. So back then, I didn't have that acceptance that I had a problem. And every time that I quit, it was always for someone else or to prove to someone else that I could figure it out. Um, I'm just so freaking stubborn, but I'm also a high achiever. I also run after success. And so graduating rehab was the only way, but I also was so young and so naive in my disease. I had no idea the actual understanding that I have now around it, the actual um, scientific research that there is about the brain and how it changes and things just make so much more sense and make me embrace sobriety now. Whereas before I had no embracing of it. I was just doing it because I had to do it because everyone around me was like, you have to do this or your consequences. <laughs> and now getting there by myself, it's a completely different ball game. My husband even said the other day, he's like, I had no idea that all we needed was for you to embrace it. I was like, yeah, that's truly what it was. Yeah, you have to do it for yourself. Um, 
I unfortunately have a Utah story too that actually Jason's reminded me of. We went to Snow Basin and it was one of my wife and I's first trip. I mean, we're probably a year and a half into our relationship and my drug of choice was opiates and every trip I ever went on in the last like probably six years, never had enough. I would always run out mid-trip. I ran out probably two or three days into the trip on a five-day trip and it was the first time I truly felt withdrawal. And a lot of the people on the trip, that's when I think they knew. And years later, when I talked to them, they're like, oh, yeah, after that, we knew you had an issue. I also relate to that stubbornness. Um, I've been trying to get this for probably five or six years. Uh, I would consider myself a high achiever as well. And I was always doing it for someone else. I was always doing it for my children. I tried to do it for my wife, for my parents. You know, it didn't matter what letter about how hurt my mother wrote or the fact that I had a kid. Like, I don't remember how many times I heard, why didn't you do this for your kids? You know, we were focusing this around boredom. I heard this stat that uh, out of like the top 5% of rehabs, 75% will go back to using within the first year. And out of that uh, 75%, they said 40% was because of boredom you know, almost half of the people that go back to rehab within the first year is because of boredom. So I'm interested in what you focus on now when you're actually bored and how you're focusing your energy now versus what you did in the last eight years. I love that you ask what I'm doing right now because I'm just over two years sober. And what I do now when I'm bored versus what I did when I very first got sober, completely different. Because you know, in early sobriety, it was all about filling my time just so I wouldn't reach for a drink. It was like, um, you know, safety nets and like just putting up all the padding around me, everything I could do to just not reach for a drink. Whereas today I can look at boredom and I can be curious about it now. And I can take it as kind of a clue that I need to rest. So total 180, right? From like how, how I needed to manage boredom in early, early recovery and sobriety versus now I learn from it and I use it to my advantage. If I'm feeling bored, it's usually because I'm super overwhelmed, surprisingly. Let me take a step back. So in the very beginning, I got so willing and I needed to fill everything. So I started an IOP first, right? An IOP is an intensive outpatient program. Um, I didn't do rehab this time because I had done that before. And I was like, okay, I don't feel like I need that because I had gotten to acceptance, but I still needed to fill my time. So that was, you know, three hours a night for three nights a week for like four months. <laughs> it was like 12 hours a week for four months. And so that took a lot of time. You know, I was going to AA religiously because I just needed to find community in my area of people that were like me. I needed to hear stories and I needed to fill my time still. So that was, that would take an hour a day, every day. Um, I would read Quitlet. I just needed the perspective of people that were farther along than me. I really liked drinking a love story by Carolyn Knapp. She really spoke my language and the unexpected joy of being sober in the beginning just made me remember, like realize, oh, you can do this life without alcohol and it can be fun. I was afraid of no excitement, no joy, no fun. <laughs> and so reading Quitlet took up time. I journaled, I had therapy. I started a business 
because when I was drinking, I couldn't keep a job. I was a mom. Luckily, I do have a husband who was able to provide. I didn't have to have an income, but I wanted to be able to start providing. I had the capacity to. I was able to show up. Um, so I started a little spray tanning business on the side. Um, that filled my time. I was willing to do anything, though. And I think willingness is the key to filling the boredom. I did a pottery class. And I encourage people to make lists of anything that they've done in the past or anything that they would be willing to do and try it out. Classes, cooking classes, photography, I don't know, hobbies, sports. It's so aligned with my story, what you were just talking about, right? Because when I got out of rehab, I was like, I just don't want to die anymore. And so I want to stay away from that drink. I want to stay away from that drug. So I went to at least one, most of the time, two meetings a day. I started to volunteer at the meetings. I got a home group. I talked to my sponsor all the time. I like, I turned into everything needs to be about recovery because if everything's not about recovery, I'm going to go back to that drink. I'm going to go back to that drug. And fortunately it saved my life because I will have two years in uh, two weeks. So I'm very excited about it. And I never thought I would be here. And something that you said around boredom now means that I need to rest. Man, I feel that in my soul this week. I feel that in my soul this week because I have been going nonstop and I have been working 10, 11 hours a day this week. I have been trying to pick uh, schools for my master's because I'm getting a second master's degree. That came out of recovery. I'm moving on Saturday. Like, there's so many things that are going on. I kind of am like looking to be bored at this point. The first year, I was so afraid of it. Well, it's, it's really funny you say I'm looking to be bored because when I was in IOP, something else that we, we both did, uh, our therapist was saying, Basically, for healthy people, you know, quote unquote, healthy people, people that aren't in active addiction or aren't in the very early stages of recovery, boredom's kind of a tool that your body is telling you like something's off. You're becoming not content. But when you're in active addiction, when you're not well at that time, you try to chase that instant gratification of how can I not be bored because we can't sit in that feeling of not being content and what's the easiest thing we take a drink we take a drug we we run to that instant gratification so it's the fact that just how you guys are talking and how i i can relate to that is kind of showing where we're at in the recovery process yeah it's interesting how it evolves right how you can be so afraid of an emotion and then start to look forward to it or hope for it like if i could just be bored that would be nice because I'm so damn overwhelmed. <laughs> it, it would be kind of lovely right now. It would be kind of lovely. And just like we were just talking about, I know people in my life right now that are in their first year of recovery and they are just spinning and spinning. And I'm thinking of one person in particular who is like, I need to do everything in my life that I want to do right now. And I don't know if the two of you have ever experienced that before, but it's kind of scary too, you know, because I remember I, I was just trying to, I did the same thing. I was trying to do as much as I possibly could. And that actually got me closer to a drink and a drug. 
Um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily bored, but I was exhausted. And that feeling there got me, you know, really, really down. And then I started like thinking of that easy way out. And fortunately, I got out of it real quick. But do you ever see that opposite of boredom is like trying to do everything all at once? Have you experienced that before? Yeah, I think that that's the work of recovery too, is figuring out those emotions and what works for you to not get so overwhelmed or too low, too underwhelmed, not have enough to do. Because I did the same thing where I put so much on my plate in the beginning because I was so worried about not being bored that then I got to burnout where I had too much on my plate. I was giving myself too many social obligations and that would cause, you know, a lot of um, heightened energy for me. If I have a big social engagement, I have to take like two days to like rewind and relax. And then I can do another one. Like I need a minute, you know, but I was giving myself too many of those things because at the same time, I'm in this new world and I'm meeting all these new people. And it's fun for me because now I don't have safe social anxiety because I'm not fueling the anxiety, you know, all these new prospects that open up to you. But like you said, it also can be overwhelming. And so you have to find balance. So I would use therapy. I would use journaling, meditation, some of those self-care type things, massage, I don't know, pedicures, <laughs> things that are just for me that would bring me back to balance and rest. Yeah. It seems like you're doing very well. And, you know, something that I always ask people that are doing very well is what are you focusing on now in your recovery? Like, what are you working on? What could you do better? Honestly, the further I get into recovery, the more I realize, like, I don't know about recovery. You know, there's always so much to the onion, layers unfolding here and there. And I'm in training right now to be a CPSS. So that's a certified peer support specialist through the state of Utah. Um, so I'll have that certification actually on Saturday, I finished my training. So I'm hoping to just help others that are on a similar journey that are, you know, looking for a little bit of support because I think that that's kind of the missing link a lot of times between clinicians and clients where maybe clinicians don't have that lived experience like we do. Someone like what I'm going to be doing can bridge that gap between a client that is working in towards sobriety and wants sobriety or is, you know, doing it, but just needs um, a little support in between. So yeah, I'm excited to just kind of help others. And think about it. Like one of the keys to boredom would be fulfilling yourself emotionally, spiritually, like however, whatever way. And what's a better way to do that than helping others? So that's amazing. Congratulations. That's what I found like fills my cup, you know, nowadays. That's what fills me up was when other people say, hey, your story helped. I'm like, oh, yes. Okay, cool. Like what I'm doing is helping. I'll tell my story. My mess is my message. Yes. <laughs> that's how it is. I love that. My mess is my message. Man. Wow. I love that so much. A mantra of recovery. You know, if we can just spill it and let people know we're all fucked up, it makes everyone just feel better about their fucked upness. It really does. Although, you know, what's funny is that I told a story in a meeting one time and everyone was like roaring laughing. And then I tried the same story with a group of my normal friends and they were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> What is wrong with you? I've seen that too, time and time again. We just get each other. We've been there, we've been in the depths of hell and that shit's funny to us now because we've climbed out. Exactly. So speaking of you know your mess being your message, um, something that we love to have our guest hosts do is give a piece of advice to the newcomer. So for those people who are in their first year recovery and even a reminder for people who aren't in their first year recovery, 
What's that one thing that you would share with those individuals? Okay, I'm going to say stay honest with yourself. So like if you're to the point where you've gotten honest about your relationship with alcohol, right? And you like you you've gotten there. I don't know what that means for anyone, but you've gotten honest with yourself. Then I think just stay honest with yourself. People are going to try to say this is okay and that's okay. Guess what? Anything is okay for you if it works for you. Be willing but stay honest about what does work for you. Like if NA beverages trigger you, don't have them. But if you like the taste of a mocktail and that tastes like alcohol, but you're not getting the toxins and that works for you and it doesn't trigger you, fantastic. Like just do what works for you, but stay honest. I love that. Stay honest. You know, Shay, I would love for our viewers to be able to connect with you on Instagram. What's your, what's your handle? Shay Sober, S-H-A-Y, Sober. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It was a real pleasure having you on and getting to hear your story and getting to know you a little bit. Yeah, it was so fun chatting with you guys. I appreciate you having me and having this platform. It's very cool. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night. Have a great night. Bye. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.